I have to say the music this morning was especially meaningful to me, so thank you very much. Let us bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Gracious and loving God, we have come to worship you. Help us to open our eyes and our ears and our heart to the message you may have for us today through the spoken word, through the sung word, through the fellowship as we share together. Guide me as I seek to preach. Guide each of us as we seek to listen that your word may be proclaimed and heard for your greater glory. This we pray in the name of God, Creator, Christ, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> the first church I served after graduating from seminary was the Hefner United Methodist Church in the middle of Oregon. I served there from 1976 to 1979 when I was appointed to the Amity Church in Boise, which is just about a bare piece of ground. A lot of people have said that they've driven by and seen the sign that says Hefner, but very few people have ever been to Hefner. If you want to get to Hefner, you get on I-84, you drive to Hermiston, and at Hermiston you, take a, you turn south and drive 50 miles to the middle of nowhere, and there's Hefner. Now, if you want to get back to the freeway, you have to call, retrace your steps and go back the same way you came. Otherwise, you drive a lot of windy roads through there. But I was appointed there, and when I arrived, the clergy in the town had organized a uh, weekly service at the Senior Care Center. And we took turns kind of leading the worship service there. I have two vivid memories of, of two incidents that took place in that Senior Care Center. The first one is concerning Sybil. Uh, when I arrived, Sybil never said a word. I, I never heard her spoke, see anything. She always in her wheelchair, and she always came wheeling in to the service, and she left. But one, one of the services I held, I, I, at a whim, I said, let us uh, stand if we can and join hands and say the Lord's Prayer. And Sybil, I expected her to stay in her wheelchair and reach out and hold hands, but she struggled to stand. And once she got standing, she held the hands of people on each side of her. We started praying the Lord's Prayer, and I felt the nudge in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. I looked up, and Sybil was saying the Lord's Prayer with us. And then we said, Amen. She sat down. And as far as I know, she never said another word until the day she died. But it just struck me so powerful, that community and the relationships that we have by holding hands and saying that common prayer put her in touch with God in a very special way. The other memory I have is after one of the services, a woman named Edna asked me to come and visit with her in her room. And I got there and she had a concern. She knew she was close to death and she was worried. How will I recognize Jesus? She had seen so many different pictures of Jesus, and they were different. Some were kind of similar, but she was worried about what she recognized Jesus. And if you think about it, we have no idea what Jesus looked like as he walked around the Galilee area. Was he tall? Was he short? Or was he just average height? Was he skinny? Or was he a large man or just average? Did he have long hair, short hair, beard, no beard? We have no idea. Scripture only tells us those things that are important. 
and it's not important what he looked physically. One of the earliest sketches that I recall seeing in the catacombs in Rome, somebody had sketched in the wall a picture of Jesus. And he was round-faced, short hair, clean-shaven. And usually when artists draw Jesus, they draw uh, how the people around them look and dress. So the reality, that's how a 30-year-old a ma man would look in Rome. But it doesn't say what a 30-year-old man would look like from a rural village called Nazareth in Israel. So we have no idea what Jesus looked like. But I'll tell you what I told Edna. I said, when you pass from life to life beyond death, the light of Christ will be so bright. The love of Christ will be so profound. And the voice of Jesus will be so clear, there'll be no question in your mind that Jesus wants to contact you, connect with you even more than you want to connect with him. So begin to think about that though. I've, when she passed away, you know, I have no idea how that experienced, but that's what I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God will connect with her, even despite her questions and her worries. But here's a question. Today, do we recognize the risen Christ who's with us? How easy it is for us to, to see the risen Christ who's with us. If you read scripture, the earliest disciples had a difficult time recognizing the risen Christ in their midst. In the Gospel of John, it's told that Mary, on the third day after Jesus had been crucified, dead and buried, she went up to the tomb on that Easter morning. And the tomb was empty. And the risen Christ appeared to her. But she didn't recognize him. She thought, it's a gardener. So she turned to what she thought was the gardener and said, if you take in his body, tell me where you put it. It wasn't until Jesus spoke her name, Mary, that she recognized the risen Christ. So too, on the road to Emmaus in the Gospel of Luke, we have the story of two disciples of Jesus taking, leaving Jerusalem, walking towards Emmaus about seven miles away. And as they're walking, they're, they're talking about all the things that have taken place in Jerusalem, about his arrest, his crucifixion, his death, his burial, try to make sense of it does not make any sense at all. They knew that some of the women had gone to the tomb early in the morning and the tomb was empty and they said they'd had a vision an angel said there was a, a, he'd been risen but nobody had seen him. But as they were walking along, the risen Christ appeared to them, but they thought it was just a stranger. And they invited him to join them on the journey because it's not safe to travel alone at that time. So he began to walk with them. And as they walked along, uh, he said, you look very troubled. Why are you so troubled? And they explained again all the things took place in Jerusalem at that time. But they had the haunting phrase, and we had hoped. Do you feel the pain in that phrase, and we had hoped? We had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was the Messiah. We had hoped that he was the Savior. We had hoped. But alas, evidently, he wasn't. We had hoped. That phrase is kind of haunting. But as I th think of that, too, 
they thought Jesus might have been the Messiah, but evidently not. But you see, they had not given up on God. They believed that sometime, somewhere, God would provide that Redeemer. God would provide that hope. God would send the Savior. They still had trust that God would provide that Savior. In their own minds, Jesus was not that Savior. You see, that's an interesting phrase to think they had trust in God, even though things were not worked out as they had planned. And I want to take a little sidebar. One of the difficult things in scripture is when you translate the ancient manuscripts and fragments of the scripture, how do you translate the words that the ancient writers intended to, how to make them into a modern word that conveys that same kind of feeling? That's not an easy task. And we have a lot of different biblical translations out there. And good translations, what they do is they get a group of scholars together who know the ancient language as well and who know modern language as well. And they try to find the right word to convey that ancient meaning. I read this one article where this a Greek word, this is a Greek word that is into how different ways to translate it. The Greek word translated as believes is derived from the basic root for faith. So it could just as easily be translated as trust. To say, I believe that person is speaking the truth. To I trust that person. Do you hear the difference there? I, I believe that's true, yes. I trust it is true. It was in 1950, Martin Buber, who was a Jewish theologian and philosopher, wrote a book called Two Types of Faith. And in the book, this is how he describes the two types of faith. Faith based on trust is more relational. The faith based on belief is more dogmatic. The one is grounded in relationships and community. The other is more individual and rooted in the acceptance of certain things as truth. I believe, or I trust. In Buber's mind, you had to have one or the other, but I believe both. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe Jesus Christ is the window through which I see God most clearly. And there's a lot of theological discussions how to, uh, statements of faith and I believe, I believe this, I believe that. But sometimes there's argument exactly what's the right thing to believe. But I trust, even though I don't quite understand what's taking place. I trust, even though I go through some times of doubt. I trust that God is God in the midst of it all. Because when we go through some difficult times in life and we struggle with things in life, that's oftentimes we have doubts because things are not turning out like we expect them to turn out. Things we prayed for have not come to fruition. Things we've expected God to do have not come about. But even though things are confusing and dark, I trust that God is God and God is with me. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Rome, and this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, where he writes, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not death, or life, or angels, or rulers, not present things or future things, not power, or height, 
or depth or anything else that is created can separate us from the love of God. See, now there's trust. When you're going through difficult times, there's trust that nothing can separate us from God. I mean, I, there's that old poem that, that comes to my mind, the footsteps in the sand conveys that same meaning. Let me share that with you. One night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to him and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand. He noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times in his life. This really bothered him, and he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I have noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why when I needed you most, you would leave me. And the Lord replied, my son, my precious child, I love you and I would never leave you during the times of trial and suffering. When you see only one set of footprints, it was them that I carried you. There's a truth in that poem. Sometimes we go through the darkest times in our lives. Sometimes it's the hardest times to believe. But if we trust that God is with us, if that's part of our faith, the trust in God, that even though we do not understand what's taking place, that we trust that God is God and God will never let us go. So we go back to the road to Emmaus. The two disciples are in a dark spot on their journey of life, but they still trust sometime in the future, God will provide that redeemer. Then I find it interesting now, Jesus begins to explain from Scripture what's been taking place in Jerusalem. As he goes through the Scripture passages, he kind of explains it to them. And even as he explains it to them, they still do not recognize it's Jesus. I mean, here are two disciples who have heard Jesus preach and teach how many times? How many times have they walked along with Jesus for casual conversations? How many times have they had a meal with Jesus? How often? And yet, even as they walked there and Jesus shared scripture, they still did not recognize the risen Christ in their midst. It's not easy to sometimes spot or hear God's in their everyday life. I like it how St. Ignatius of Loyola in the 16th century, he said when God speaks, it's often like a water dripping on a sponge, quiet, silent, and insistent, like a water drop on a sponge, quiet, persistence, but that's God speaking. Sometimes to listen for God is not that easy. I heard the story of a, in a church meeting, there was a, a young man railing about God and kind of angry at God. And the old preacher was sitting across the hall, across the opposite end of the room. And he, he's, he said something, and the young man looked and couldn't quite make it out. And he walked a little closer, and the preacher said something again. He still couldn't quite hear it. He got closer and closer. Finally, he heard what the old preacher was saying. Sometimes God speaks 
in a whisper, and you have to get closer to hear. You have to get closer to hear. So those disciples walking that road to Emmaus still heard Jesus speaking, but they did not recognize it was God speaking to them at that moment on their journey of life. But I think sometimes you need eyes of faith to see and ears of faith to hear where God is moving in our midst. I heard the story by uh, Dorothy Bass, who is an American religious historian, tells the story of, of a mother when she put her kids to bed at night, how often the mother would say, how, how'd your day go today? She had a different question. She said, uh, where did you meet God today? And in the story that, that she wrote, it said, well, one, one, one child said, well, a teacher helped me. Another child said, I saw a homeless man in the street. Oh. The third one said, well, I saw a tree just fill of blossoms. And then the mother would share where she met God that day. It's uh, Sam Keen who writes this, and I think he's right on. He has this observation. I suspect that we are all recipients of cosmic love notes. Messages, omens, voices, revelations, and appeals are all part of each day's events. If only we know how to listen, to read the signs. God speaks to us. But it's interesting in the road to, to Emmaus. Once the two disciples reach Emmaus and the stranger who is with them, the stranger acts as if he's going to go on. And they plead with him, no, stay with us. And so that night, as they got together, and Jesus took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and their eyes were open, and they saw it was the Christ. Today, we are going to partake in the sacrament of Holy Communion. We will take that bread and take that juice. And my prayer is, as we take this community together and with the risen Christ in our midst, may we have our eyes open to see where God has moved recently in our past or where God will move today as we journey forward. May our eyes be open as we celebrate the presence of God and we trust God's presence with us every day of our lives. So I'm going to ask Jenny to please come forward to help as we celebrate communion. Please pray with me. Lift up your hearts and give thanks to God. Blessed are you, O God, who with your word and Holy Spirit created all things and called them good. In Jesus Christ, your word became flesh and dwelt among us. Through Jesus' suffering and death, you took upon yourself our sin and death and destroyed their power forever. You raised from the dead this same Jesus who now reigns with you in glory and poured upon us your Holy Spirit, making us the people of your new covenant. Amen. Please join me in the words on the screen. Holy, 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 holy Lord, God of power and might, Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. On the night before meeting with death, Jesus took the bread, gave thanks to you, O God, and broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So at this time, you can open the bread and let us share these elements, piece of bread. And when the supper was over, Jesus took the cup. He gave thanks to you and gave it to the disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us share the cup of salvation. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, as we taste the juice and bread in our mouths, may we taste the new breath and life that you breathe into us. Help us, O oh God, to see your movement in our daily lives. Help us to have that trust, kind of faith, that no matter what happens, no matter how dark things may turn, that you are with us and you will never abandon us. We give you thanks for the gift of Jesus Christ. We give you thanks, O oh God, for your love for us. And now as people of God, may we go forth sharing that love with all we meet. This we pray in the name of God, Creator, Christ, and Holy Spirit. Amen.